Lawrence Mooney, this is Matthew Hardy. How are you, mate? Happy New Year. Regards Saturday afternoon fever here because we're back. We are back into 2022. Uh, we're about to do some live shows, but this is a very special Saturday afternoon fever out of the box where we're not going to be reading from the book today, Matthew. What are we going to be doing? Well, because we have our own live show versions of the podcast coming up at the uh, Palms at Crown in Melbourne for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, uh, and they're on Saturday afternoons at 5pm in keeping with the Saturday afternoon fever theme, um, I wanted us to talk about some of the live shows that we've seen in our lives that are awesome or awful, or maybe both on the same event, uh, because uh, when we came in, when I came in this morning, uh, Derek... Myers at Castaway Studios, our brilliant producer, was uh, swearing at the computer and at himself because he was trying to hurriedly get tickets for Nick Cave, who in Victoria is doing shows at Hanging Rock. And it, uh, I can't say, uh, well, it's his wife's birthday and he's trying to get a surprise present. I'm not sure if I've ruined that if she listens to us. But um, so, yeah, and then it reminded me back of uh, the, in the days when we'd have to book at Bass before the internet existed. Uh, Bass, of course, that stood for best available seating service. Did I did it. I, I never knew that. Didn't you? No, because didn't they have the bass as in the fish, the big game fish as the logo? Uh, yes, but um, it, it was an acronym for best available seating service. That's what they were called bass. I did not did not never know that. But anyway. Welcome it, to the world. In- but kids, once upon a time, you used to go and queue up in the street, be it football season uh, or whatever it was, you didn't queue online. If you're going to see Aussie Crawl or Cold Chisel um, or even, you know, an international act, Billy Joel might be coming out of the police, you'd book, uh, uh, you'd, you'd queue sometimes for overnight. People would be out there with their sleeping bags and a thermos of coffee. Yeah, on the ground outside the newsagent that was selling the tickets. And uh, Derek's telling us, who did you queue up for, Derek? I stayed overnight for Dire Straits. Yeah, and wh- which particular booking office were you, were you outside of? Well, it was, no, at the venue. It was at the the, the glass, you call it the glass house or the, the glass house court. or the basketball yeah. centre, yeah, which is now the, the Lexus Centre where Collingwood Footy Club's based. That's right. Yeah, well, um, my, my first. What beautiful time. Yeah, to, to football. My first ever major concert was my, for my 13th birthday. My older brother Simon got me a ticket uh, to see Midnight Oil at the Glass House at the uh, height of the 1098 album Frenzy. And Which that was, was just. What, released in 1980 or 81? Uh, and so, yeah. That would have been. 84, in fact. Really? Yeah, well, I was born in 69 and 1984. But, uh, no, I mean, I mean, it was my when 13th the birthday. Released, oh, hang on. The album was released in. I reckon 81. Never been good I'll at go maths. For. Never been good at maths. And by the way, if anyone's wondering uh, about the occasional robotic sound to the Lawrence Mooney uh, vocals, it's because you're coming to us live from Adelaide in the middle of the uh, Adelaide Comedy Festival. Is that correct? Yes, Adelaide Fringe Festival, uh, which finishes up on March the 21st. I guess this will be up by then. But yes, I am remote and Matthew is at Castaway Studios in Collingwood. Right. Well, so then, then when I got older, I went to book uh, tickets myself uh, around about 89, 90. And um, again, there was no such thing as the internet. And so uh, 20 of my mates had given me cash at our local pub, the Notting Hill Hotel, the night before the tickets were going to go on sale the next morning, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, I, was, uh, I was on the dole at the time. Surprise. And uh, I had, you know, the cash for 19... 19- <laughs> <laughs> 19 other mates, 19 other mates and myself. And so as I was getting close to the line, which is at Shadson Shopping Centre's uh, Bass 
uh, ticket centre, which is up in the haberdashery or upholstery area. So everyone's... Yeah, it used to be up near customer service. That's right. Yeah, yeah, often. yeah. Yeah, right. So as I got to the front of the line, they said, sorry. Uh, no, they said, uh, there's only the last row available right up in the heavens. And so a mm. lot of people just turned around and left and thought, oh, those seats are too far away from the action. I'm not paying top dollar for that. And so I thought, oh, I'm just going to hang around a bit. And the guy behind the counter said, well, uh, they're probably going to announce another concert, but it'll take like three or four hours. And um, if I was you, I'd just try and listen to Eon FM because that's where they'll announce if there's another concert going to happen. So I sat there for four hours um, at Chatty doing nothing, just near the customer service desk until a bloke... You're ran- on the doll. Yeah. You're on the rock and roll. Exactly. And, and uh, I was reading Great Expectations by Charles Dickens because... In- <laughs> No, because I didn't bring it. No, they had they were selling like bookshelves, right? And in order to try and present to the customer what the bookshelf would look like in action, they'd put books on the bookshelves that they were trying to sell. Right. And among them was Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. Suddenly the bloke goes, mate, you're in luck. And so instead of buying tickets, because I was scared, I don't want to go back to me mates, you know, and say we've got the last highest row furthest away from the stage. Instead, I went yep. back to me mates with front row tickets for the second concert. So patience reaped rewards. Whilst right, you know, and great expectations. What a beautiful irony that was. Well, yeah. Also, we got they had great expectations, and you delivered. We, I delivered all right, and we and I got uh, I got uh, Peter Garrett's sweat. We all did all over us, you know, because oh, we yeah. were in such close proximity to the great man. What an absolute great band to see live! I went and saw them at um, uh, Earl's Court, the venue which was a music uh, venue. In on, London? No. Uh, the, the name of the building was Earl's Court. They called it the venue. It was the big music venue in St Kilda. Oh, that stinking, that, that absolutely, that was just, that was, that might, as well be, that might as well have been in the Star Wars bar. My mum and dad, when I was about 15, somehow agreed to drop me in to see Bob Geldof do a solo show. Right, after Live Aid. At the venue. At the venue in St Kilda. And yeah. I, before or since, have not seen such uh, outrageous critters, i.e. individual humans, <laughs> right? Straight out of Glen Waverley I was. There was a girl with green dyed hair, right? Uh, a nose ring and a white live rat on her shoulder was trying to patch on with me and she smelt like both spew and West Coast cooler. And yes. uh, I was never so frightened from that day until this. And, and uh, you know, I thought... Was that a well-renowned venue? How come it was just it was populated with? It was a hugely rock- renowned venue, right? Because uh, St Kilda, of course, at the time had the Esplanade Hotel. They also had the Seaview Ballroom, which was on Fitzroy Street. And they had Bojangles, famously depicted in Chopper, and uh, across the road and up the hill on the Upper Esplanade was the venue, um, and it was an old dance hall. So it had this specially timbered floor in the upper floor where was the bands played. Yeah. And it was a sprung floor. Right. So when Peter Garrett was pogoing and the rest of the crowd are pogoing, you could feel the floor flexing and actually kind of throwing the crowd higher into the air. What? Like a trampoline effect? Well, not to that extent, but you could feel it vibrating underneath you. Right. Um, Sadly, they knocked it down. I think they made the Novotel on that site, which is a disgraceful hotel. The absolute op- opposite uh, idealism of what it originally was, of course. Obviously, where sex workers and their clients 
is the place like a revolving door. Well, I'll take, <laughs> I'll take, I'll take your word for it. Now, um, you and I recently went to a gig that I think we both agree is one of the best of our lives, and it was like unexpectedly. We knew it was going to be oh. good, but this thing elevated itself above all others. It was on the 9th of December, two thousand and twenty-one, Lawrence. Uh, the first time after two years that Melbourne had a brief week-long window of the world acting like it had been before COVID, right? Yep. And I'm talking about the Corner Hotel in Richmond. James Rain did an afternoon show at 4 p.m. Uh, I'd booked tickets. You were wavering as to whether or not you could or couldn't come down from Sydney or whether you would or wouldn't be here for various reasons. And then I think you... No, I, I, I actually said yes straight away to the ticket, but on the night before the ticket, I'd had such a huge one. I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to make oh, it. Oh, that's right. But then dragged, that dragged myself out of bed and said, this guy's got your ticket to see James Rain at the Corner Hotel in Richmond. How dare you miss because you've tied one on. Get out of bed, you sorry asshole, and get down there. And that saved and, me uh, saying... I turned up. Yep, that saved me saying the exact same series of sentences because you said them to yourself. But also, it was the first time anyone could go and do anything publicly, collectively, in a crowd for two years. There was the extra added motiv- motivation of that. Yeah. So uh, I bowled into the front bar of the corner hotel and there were you and your two older brothers, Mark and Simon, and uh, we were joined by Limo. So it was a, a crowd of five and it was a packed gig too. Oh, I reckon every person in Melbourne between the ages of like 45 and 55, that 10-year window, and, give, and maybe give, add a couple of five-year uh, extra windows on either end of that 45 to 55-year decade, yeah. Uh, everyone that's ever been born in Melbourne was was somehow packed into that 800 capacity, uh, you know, venue because it seemed to be like there was 8,000 people in there. And how none of us got COVID, I do not know. I mean, we had to check in and show that we were boosted, but somehow or other in that sweat pit, that filthy, we must have drunk about 12 cans in the 90-minute duration as well. Well, that was the other thing. It was a, uh, a five-man shout and we were drinking Melbourne cans and then uh, I ran into some other friends. I bought them a beer. And so they returned the favour. And so I had at one stage three cans stacked on one another <laughs> like it was at the footy in right. the early 70s. Standing room at the MCG. Where you're stacking cans. So you can't really work with three cans. It's hard to balance. Yeah. So I had to really chug one and then get stuck into the second one. And, you know, if you're sculling beer, it's see you later time. And we probably after the gig went and had another couple of beers. And then I was going to see Sam Pang and Kitty Flanagan uh, doing a a live show at the Malt House for Kitty's book. And I thought, I've got to really straighten up here. You guys rolled me into an Uber and I was pissed. Pissed. The whole place, we walked in forwards and walked out sideways. It was an incredible event. And James Ray. It was a really hot day, which was was a beautiful Melbourne day. The venue heaved. Uh, James Rain was awesome. His version of Errol was oh. so good that he just kept the crowd doing the Don't tell me it's true. Who I don't, don't want to talk about. about. So uh, we've got Derek here has teed it up. We'll try and recreate the moment. But he was teasing us, wasn't he, James yeah. Rain? Yeah, it was beautiful. You ready to step in? Tell me it's true. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. 
Don't tell me it's true. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. Woo! <laughs> yes. He must have done that. Thanks, Derek. He must have done that. Go back again, Derek. Give it, give it to us again. Yeah. So he must have done. Go back to the... So James Rain must have done this before, of course, right? He knows how to play a yeah. crowd. But when he was saying, don't tell me it's true... And then we all just knew to come in that it was our turn yeah. to go, I don't want to hear about it. I, I reckon he must have done that 700 times and we, we were happy to go do it another 700. Uh, it it went something. for a while. Yeah. I, I don't, don't want to hear, hear about, about it. it. I don't, don't want to hear about it. About it. I don't want to hear about it. Don't tell me true. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, it was a great afternoon. A great year. And so what I'm hoping we can do, Lawrence, and I know we're not doing music, of course, because we can't, even if we wanted to or we tried. No one would pay to see that. But I'm hoping that our audiences at our two live shows are going to leave having felt as good as James Rain made us feel. And if, if, I, if I take us back to something closer to what we're going to do, which is ideally, hopefully, comedy. Uh, otherwise, it would just be a speech if they don't laugh at the end of the majority of the sentences. But people might frown, frown upon this, you know, in the more enlightened era that we're living in now. But back in the late 80s, Rodney Roode came out with a album, which was, you could buy it on cassettes. People were still buying cassettes. And you could also buy, oh, yeah. it, also buy it on vinyl. It was right about the exact time where vinyl and cassettes were like overlapping or being replaced from each other. And Rodney Roode's uh, album had that. Well, cassettes were, cassettes were starting to dominate because people had cassette players in their cars. Yeah, that's right. Well, so my brother, I remember cleaning his car, which was a GT Falcon at the time, in our driveway. And I would have been, you know, 15 and he was 23 or something. But but I remember him cleaning his car, but still somehow leaving a window open and had that Rodney Roode cassette, that first album of his, blasting. I could not believe the filth that was allowed to be heard by people in public places. And you would hear that they would play clean bits between songs on the radio that summer when it came out, yeah. but it was the first comedy album ever released in Australia because Australiana, I think, might have preceded it, but that was a single. That was like four minutes of ostentatious doing puns on Aussie words like, you know, how much can a koala bear or I'll go if dingoes. But Rodney Roode was like more stand-up jokes. Yes, there was misogyny. Yes, there was racism at the time. I don't know. That was still kind of accepted, but um, that's a separate discussion. Well, it's completely accepted. You would hardly ever hear a comedian criticised or vilified because they made a, a racist joke or um, a misogynist joke. So, yeah, it wasn't even part of the discussion at Back that then, time. no. But what he was, above all else, was funny, and that album was ridiculous. I think it was number one. I think the whole album was number one. I remember seeing Molly Meldrum get Rodney on Countdown to announce and hand him, <laughs> hand him the frame platinum you know, uh, confirmation that he'd gone to number one with a spoken word album, I think was the first of its kind. And then Rodney went on to become a pioneer because I remember the Queensland police used to be waiting at the side of the stage and as soon as he swore or said anything blasphemous or, or whatever, uh, Joe Bielke would have his bloody stormtroopers ready to literally drag him off the stage halfway through the show. And Rodney spent years and a lot of money in court uh, fighting for freedom of speech so that comedians, almost like a modern-day uh, what Lenny Bruce became famous for. He did a lot of right. bits and pieces of jail time. Yeah, bits and pieces of jail time to make sure that comics could be able to say whatever they wanted, in particular 
religious-based jokes, which is where the Queensland government's problem was. But yeah, so obviously he's... I can't I can't remember that much Rodney Rood material apart from you know um, sitting in the cinema and this guy's in front of me and he's making all this noise. I'm th- saying Asha, Asha, yeah, Get yeah. This guy out, he's groaning and he's moaning and he. The usher comes down. And he goes, I said, "Where this? Where's this fuck went from?" And he goes, "The balcony." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, where's this guy? Well, I can't from? remember much much of Rodney's material. Well, he did from a that he did a routine about his mate called Head, who was just a head, right? And he would open his birthday present, uh, and he'd go, "Oh, thanks, another fucking hat," right? And then, <laughs> and he was really good at darts, and he'd challenge blokes to darts in the pub. Remember that? And um, and they'd go, "Darts? How can you play darts?" And he'd say, "Put the dart in my mouth, feathers first, right?" And he'd go, "Now throw the fucking board at me." Right, remember all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he had these, these outrageous put downs where someone would shout something out and he would go, Don't start with me, mate. I remember you, I saw you at the beach last week, mate, sucking all the farts out of dead seagulls, right? What, yeah. what is that? Sucking the farts. It's, re, it's repulsive, but at the time, funny. And so we, my brothers and I went and saw him live at the Village Green and they had these, you know, scantily clad ladies walking around with table service, freezing cold cans of VB, right, and low-cut tops and short skirts. And uh, the problem was, by the time you got up for a wee at some point and you were scared to in case Rodney picked on you, right, or, or, yeah. but you were also excited and hoping he might, right, that weird sort of duality. But uh, by the time you stood up to go for that wee, I guess because they were bringing the beer to your table, your legs would be jelly. You didn't realise how many cans you'd powered down. You know, these girls kept on bringing cans to you and you'd buy them like while sat in your seat off the tray they were holding. But Rodney was just, I just remembered it just being the funniest thing I'd ever seen or heard, maybe to this day. And uh, Rodney had another put down, didn't he? He said, I I bet your mum used to hang a chop around your neck so that the dog would play with you. (laughs) (laughs) So you went and saw Rodney Rude at the Village Green Hotel. Uh, What suburb is that? That's in Glen Waverley, yeah, on the corner of Spring. It's across the road from Brandon Park, but uh, it's officially Glen Waverley on the corner of uh, right. Springvale and Ferntree Gully Roads. But yeah, just like, you know, just th- that gut wrenching, like your stomach sore, your, ch- your chest is sore, like you are you are physically laughing, throwing your body back and forwards, and the whole place is just out of control. Um, I mean, that's a skill, whether he's being racist at the time, whether he's being sexist at the time, whether it was acceptable then and it's not acceptable now. To absolutely to own an audience. And Rodney would do that thing because he'd wear a hat and he'd pretend he was upset with someone. He'd go to take his hat off as if he was going to like, you know, do you want to fight? I'll take my... Yeah. He'd take his hat off and then underneath that hat was another hat exactly the same. For some reason, that was hilarious. Then, yeah. he, had, then he had this weird... Um, he had this weird... I think he must have had like an inflatable in the back of these specially tailored trousers. And so he'd walk out... Yes. With, he'd walk out with his giant ass, right? Like in the trousers. And then at some point... He'd set it up two or three jokes in a row. He'd, he'd, in between jokes, he'd go, oh, oh, and he'd hold his stomach like he's having tummy trouble or something. But then he'd go, he'd sort of like, oh, no, that's past. And he'd tell the next joke. And then and then at the end of that joke, he'd hold his guts again, go, oh, oh, hang on, hang on. Oh, no, we're okay. And he'd tell the third joke. That's right. Then at the end of that joke, he'd half bend over like he had a gut ache and do this. Obviously, it was like recorded and he had the sound guy ready to hit the hit, press play. He'd do this this giant fart, right? 
and he'd and then Rodney would obviously pull some cord or something in the tailor-made trousers, <laughs> and the back of his dax would split simultaneously, and the ass would inflate to like three <laughs> three times the size it already was within about one second. Honestly, it it's it's puerile, but it at the time was the funniest. You could not have thought or seen or heard anything funnier in your life. Like you, could, you could barely like you thought you were going to die. It was so funny. Oh, and in a, a fart sound with the visual of an inflatable ass splitting a pair of trousers. That's yeah. pretty good gear. Oh, I know that is pretty good gear. I oh, know. And then the ass, almost like I suppose those inflatable life rafts, you know, they just get like straight away from totally <laughs> from totally deflated to totally inflated. And, and 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 you know and looking like a bare bare bum as well, like it's pathetic. Like you you knew it was pathetic or puerile or ridiculous yeah. or childish, but you still, as they those scantily clad young ladies served the cold cans to you, um, you know, and you'd paid. It was probably nothing. Of course, go on. You weren't that kind of um, uh, experienced in your alcohol consumption either. So as a younger bloke, you'd be kind of you know. You'd be struggling after for a few beers. Oh yeah, but there's that peer you pressure to keep. Never up. my thing, but yeah, it- as a, as a young guy when you're 18 or 19, you weren't going to order a gin and tonic just to you know go for a break or a glass of Chardonnay. It was only beer. Yeah, and so you just struggle through. And this is tragic and to ad- hopefully hold on. Yeah, yeah, and to me, this is tragic to admit. But I think there was a when the gorgeous young girls would bring the tray of beers and go, you want another? It was almost like, wow, I can't have her doubting my masculinity by saying no. There was that weird sort of, uh, I don't know, generational tragedy built into it as well. You know, you want her to yeah, like that- you. You want her to like you and you think she might like you if she can see how much beer you can drink. Like, what is, what's going on in our tragic heads and hearts? Who brought us up? What I thought a, I had a what, good upbringing. What but- an equation. Go on. What an equation that was foisted upon us that, you know, we made equated uh, a woman's attraction to us might be on the amount of beer that we could drink (laughs) or the ability to keep drinking when (laughs) probably the opposite is completely true. Yeah. (laughs) We've learned now that we're over. Yeah, I know. Well, by the way, they weren't – I need to point out it wasn't so – wrong this event wasn't so wrong that they weren't topless right there's no toplessness taking place and and also and also i'd say 50 percent of the audience was women um uh at that rodney rude show laughing their asses off as well like just an incredible experience and i don't know uh have you ever seen colin hay live the lead singer of uh men at work who's now done you know heaps of awesome solo albums no but my first ever gig 1982 i was still uh, in HSC, it was towards the end of the year. Exams were coming up, and Minute Work were playing at the Middle Hotel in Furniture Gully. And me and three mates went along, stood right in the front row on the dance floor. And um, Minute Work, business as usual, yep. was the number one album. Yep. Um, Down Under. Uh, is that the, the name of that song? Uh, yeah, it's Down uh, Under. I know what you mean by, like, is that what we all call it or is that the name of the song? Yeah, I think it's the yeah, name yeah. of the song. Anyway, Down Under was number one for weeks and weeks. Uh, if any party you went to, you heard that album playing, and particularly that song. Ding, ding, diddle, ding, diddle, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I come from a land down under. And uh, it was just a revelation, Matthew, because first of all, I was going into a pub. Um, they weren't checking IDs and they rarely did in those days. You had a ticket, in you come. The joint was packed. Uh, and there's the band that you've seen perform on Countdown, you've seen perform on Sounds, the, the song that you've heard on the radio, and it's live and it really does blow your mind that you're watching a band for the first time. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, literally hard to, to comprehend. And, uh, and also they had um, on that same album, uh, Who Can It Be Now? You know, Who Can It Be Knocking At My Door? Go Away. You don't come don't back come here, run no, here no more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Colin Hay. Also, hang on. Be good, be good, be good, be good, be good, be good, Johnny. Brilliant. Was, You're going to play football this year, Johnny? Nah. Uh, there was hardly a miss on that album. Uh, it was just one of those albums that you could listen to from beginning to end, and there wasn't a, a bad song on it. It was a, it was a great night. Colin Hay, as you mentioned. Uh, the stage area at the middle, there's a raised stage and so and a low roof traditionally in those pub venues. And so he was swinging forward into the crowd off the lighting bar and uh, there he is at his seat. You know, also like Peter Garrett at the, the gig you were talking about, pouring sweat and um, Greg Ham is back there on uh, flute just an awesome lineup, an awesome night. Locked in. Amber. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm envious, and I saw Chrissy Amphlet as we all did, people of our age, uh, at all of those classic large thousand capacity pubs back in the same era. Just uh, tear places apart, just intimidate men, almost, almost make you be frightened, but also aroused simultaneously. Oh, yeah. She was an incredible live performer. People talk about Michael Hutchins being the ultimate Australian frontman, but I reckon Chrissy Amphlett was. She just... Uh, yeah, so she's whoa, such a strong she was just performer. a force of nature. And when she sung, you know, I Touch Myself, uh, that was... Well, that was later in the piece. That was later in the piece. Even now, I can be driving along in the car. I've got my daughters in the back who are six and nine, and that song will come on, and I'm just mortified that they, you know, luckily they haven't asked any questions. Yeah. But even I, I don't reckon I even took it. I, I reckon I might have been 17. I was so, so, I was so behind the eight ball as as a youth sexually, but I don't reckon I took that literally at the time. Like, how could you not take that literally? Yeah. The lyrics of that song. She's spelling it out. There's no subtlety. There's no uh, allegory. When she thinks about yeah. you, she touches herself. I on and then she and then she emphasises. Yeah. I honestly do. In case you were left in I don't any think doubt, you really need to emphasise that point, Chrissy. We really believe you, mate. We uh, we're right on board. But I don't, I don't think I was a. I don't think I would have had sex then, and therefore I'm not even sure if I was uh, if I if I'd touched my own self by then. I wrote in my book. Um, about how I thought the being called a wanker was like the ultimate Ugh. insult because you only ever you only ever resorted to wanking if you'd given up on having sex with a fellow human like and that, forever, yeah. and so you that was that, that that was your next option that you were stuck with for life. I was so so you thought an that idiot. any form of masturbation was some kind of demeaning act for a one who yeah like a, like life the only thing left. <laughs> yes, yeah. 
And so when 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 the crowd back when uh, New Zealand you know would play in Australia a lot against uh, you know the cric- in the te- in the Test cricket and they would shout out Hadley's a wanker, I felt really sorry for him. I didn't feel happy that we were calling him a name. I thought, oh, the poor bloke's never going to meet well, a lady. Thought, and was, he's decided literal. That's the case. Well, yeah, like a lifetime, like like well, a, a lifetime sentence. Head. That's a learning difficulty, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> well, therefore, no, but therefore, that because and because you know masturbation in my mind was like you know a male hand, a male pe- penis. The idea of female masturbation just oh, right. d- the concept was had never occurred to me. I didn't know it was a possibility. It was not even on the realm of my uh, comprehension of. Uh, of what but she also runs through possible the fantasy that she's having um when i think about you i touch myself uh when i'm on my knees i want you above me so it's like uh, yeah she put it i mean i get it now into it but it's pretty it's pretty vivid but um what a, what yeah. an amazingly powerful song and especially to see live I don't reckon I saw it live. I reckon that was so later in the piece. Was that like, that was their last hit, I reckon, and it came a few years after whatever their hit before then was. That's my perception or my recollection. But back to Colin Hay yeah. for a second, is uh, he he nowadays tells stories between songs that are Billy Con- the peak Billy Connolly-level comedy. Like, as funny as Billy Connolly has ever been is what Colin Hay That's is in between songs when he does his current day solo call. shows. Uh, we're talking about one of the greatest comedians of all time, Billy Connolly, and yep. you're putting yep. Hay up there with him. I mean, he's Scottish as well, so maybe he's a natural raconteur. Um, he's got that, you know, great sense of humour, and he can tell a great story. I've spent um, time with Colin. Uh, he's a very good friend of Mario's, of Mario's in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, and um, I've... Oh, who run- oh, Mario, you mean Mario's Cafe? Yeah, Mario's Mario. Mario of Mario's in Brunswick yeah. Street, Detroit. And um, yeah, right. I've uh, shared a table with Colin and many bottles of wine. And, yeah, he holds court beautifully. But I'm not putting him up there with Connolly. I'm not doing it. Right. Well, you haven't seen him. No, you haven't seen him. Well, so I've, don't I've know what you're talking about. sat with him. I've listened to him. I've listened to the stories. Mano a mano. What, man to man? Yes, face to face. Tate to tay, my friend. So, well, so do you reckon he you reckon he does his professional best bits in oh, no, casual conversation? Do you, like, do you? Well, yeah, I'm pretty good at the table. <laughs> I'm not doubting that, but that's a different d- kind of discussion, anyway, isn't it? I, I, I you suppose I've never one yes, night after the other. You're quite right. I haven't seen him live, so I can't comment. Yeah. Well, he speaks highly of you and your show. Anyway, so in closing, if Colin Hay is as good as or sometimes better than Billy Connolly with his uh, anecdotes in between tunes, then uh, that's up for conjecture. But what's not up for conjecture is that you and me, we're both better than Colin Hay and Billy Connolly, and we're going to prove that fact on August the 2nd no, and no, August the 9th the, at the Crown the date, at let's Palms. Let's get the date right. Oh, April yeah, the 2nd. So and April the 9th. Redo Pardon that. me. All right. So... Uh, whether or not uh, Colin Hay is as good as Billy Connolly when he tells his stories between songs, uh, that can remain up for conjecture because I've seen him and you haven't. But <laughs> the people who come and see you and I, Lawrence, 
they're going to know that we're better than Colin Hay and Billy Connolly, and they're going to get their money's worth uh, on April the 2nd, which is a Saturday afternoon at 5 p.m., and April the 9th, which is a Saturday afternoon at 5 p.m. And as you suggested uh, when we were talking earlier, that leaves you with just enough time when we finish 60 minutes later on the dot at 6 p.m. to go and have a quick feed and about 700 beers while you're already at the casino, and you're riding the wave of hilarity that you and I have created with our live performance of this podcast, which luckily for us has become very popular very quickly, and we're hoping... Uh, that this first episode back is a gentle reintroduction to the 2022 uh, version of me and you. Yes, we're going to be live at the Palms at Crown uh, and we're going to start putting up new episodes of Saturday Afternoon Fever very soon. Uh, We haven't posted one since December. Uh, There's a whole lot of reasons for that. But we're launching again for 2022. <laughs> Here we go. Your beauty, Jizzle and Go. 